0: Welcome to Restoring the Soul, I'm Michael John Cusick. As we begin the program today, I'm giving all listeners a trigger warning. This episode is about sex trafficking, which is a difficult enough subject, but specifically we'll be talking about the sex trafficking of young boys. And I want to begin with a confession. Last week I recorded my standard introduction to this program, complete with facts and statistics about sex trafficking, as well as an overview of the credentials and impressive work being done by my guest. But just two days before launching this episode, I emailed Brian, my producer who lives in Southeast Asia, and I asked him to delete what I had recorded. Something about what I had recorded felt too safe. It was sanitized, insulated. Frankly, it was disconnected from my own story. So now I offer you a new introduction where my own story collides with that of our guests. Take two.
1: We become family with many of the survivors we work with, and I say that loosely, but I also say that in, in truth, where that um, they begin to see us as not just a social worker or not just a court advocate, but this person's here with me for the long haul. And many people who are trafficked, as you know, come from terrible family backgrounds, um, generations of trauma and abuse, and so they'll be here um, and be invited into family and to healing. When you work with people, I think you have to hold expectation loosely and allow them to develop it. I would love for every single boy that comes in our home would begin to start to dream with God and with others on what their life will be and to start to take back everything that evil has stolen.
0: You're listening to Restoring the Soul with Michael John Cusick. In the last decade, the issue of sex trafficking has garnered widespread attention in the U.S. and abroad. Sex trafficking is becoming an increased focus for law enforcement, local and national government agencies, and a growing number of grassroots organizations around the world. One of the grassroots organizations that is addressing the issue is Restore One, a nonprofit organization based in Greenville, North Carolina. Chris and Anna Smith are the co founders of Restore One. Chris is the president of Restore One, and currently he and his team are launching the film. A documentary called "Boys," which exposes the hidden truths about male children who are exploited through sex trafficking. Anna Smith is co-founder and executive director of Restore One. She uses her knowledge and personal experience as a speaker, writer, and advocate for trafficked boys. Some of her writing can be found at RedTentLiving.com. Through Restore One, Chris and Anna are building and now launching the Anchor House, the first shelter in America that is exclusively dedicated to caring for sex trafficked boys ages 12 to 18. Here's where it gets interesting and personal. Almost three years ago, Anna Smith and her team set up a phone appointment with me to inquire about being a keynote speaker at their annual fundraiser for their nonprofit, Restore One. As we talked about their need and what would be involved, I asked Anna an innocent question. Why do you want me to be the speaker at your fundraising event? Anna responded by saying that she had read my book, Surfing for God, and thought it was helpful, but then she went on to say something for which I was entirely unprepared. I listened to your testimony online, she said, and because you've been a victim of sex trafficking, we thought your perspective and what you would bring would be especially important. Suffice it to say that I have no recollection of our conversation after those words. When I heard the words, you've been a victim of sex trafficking, my heart began to race, and my mind went somewhere off in the clouds. Though I had told my story dozens of times publicly of how an uncle sexually abused me and gave me to other men, I had never remotely considered the idea that I had been sex trafficked. But thankfully, Anna named something for me that I'd been unable to name for myself. The story went on where she and I had a number of conversations, and I had some serious soul work to do. And eventually, I was given the privilege of speaking at their gala. But when it comes to the sexual abuse and exploitation of boys, the shame is both profound and paralyzing. And that's precisely why those who call themselves followers of Jesus need to be aware that boys are abused and trafficked sexually, and that the voices of shame work to silence the victims. All of this is why I'm so thrilled to share with you today my conversation with Chris and Anna Smith of Restore One. The two of you work in an area of sex trafficking that most people would simply rather not talk about. Specifically, you work with boys who have been sex trafficked and commercially sexually exploited. How bad is the issue of boys being trafficked and commercially sexually exploited?
2: Yeah, I think that's, um, you know, looking into that, it's a really difficult question to answer. And I say that just because I really think our culture today is now just starting to look... Um, at the whole issue, human trafficking, as it relates, to both genders. Um, being trafficked, female and male. Right now, the statistics that are coming out um, are saying that 50% of the children across America that are being trafficked are 50% male and 50% female. That was put out by ECPAC USA um, out of New York. I mean, wouldn't you say, Anna? It's pretty difficult to kind of tell right now. I mean,
1: really, we don't have great statistics to gauge um, the sex trafficking and exploitation of children in general. But how bad, I would say, um, to put it this way most of the data we've read in the cases we work with boys and men are not even identified as sex trafficking victims um, by means of we've had issues right where we've had um, talked about you know and heard about women being caught in prostitution and really they're being sex trafficked when it comes to boys and men they're not even um, caught in the act per se of being sex trafficked so mainly um, they're falling through the cracks and not being identified
2: yeah and what are some reasons for that You know, I think, you know, as our culture, um, how we look at how we look at males um, as as people, you know, as as young boys, how are we raising our young boys? Yeah, I'm I'm always taken back um, to the story that's very familiar probably with many men today as when they were young boys was say if this young boy had a sister, um, say he was 12 years old and his sister was four and they were outside together playing and. Bobby, let's use the name Bobby, was skateboarding. Um, he fell and then all of a sudden little Susie ran into the back of him and fell too. And they both scraped their knees. They're both hurting. They're both in pain. And they walk inside and they both go to dad for comfort. But what happens more more likely probably in our culture is that Susie gets to be on the lap of dad and Bobby is told to go upstairs to his room um, and not to cry. And don't come down until he stopped crying. I mean, I've heard that story um, from men. So from right there, what are we telling our boys? That we're saying is you need to be a man. You need to be a young man. But no, they're they're little boys. So we're, we're telling them that when, when you grow up, you don't need to cry. You don't need to share your feelings. And so that's how I think a lot of times um, that boys are not being identified because they're not coming forward. Because pretty much they're in that sense when Bobby was little, that was shaming. He was being shamed right there by his father and he's learning that from the from the one that is supposed to be teaching him what it is to 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 be a boy.
0: It also seems like there's different expectations about what's acceptable socially. Anna, can you say something about that?
1: Yeah. Um, what I've, we've witnessed discrimination with some cases we've worked with with men and boys and have firsthand accounts of survivors we've worked with where they have been turned away for the sake of being a man or a boy. Um, there's a certain stigma that is associated when it comes to a boy or man being um, in the nature of sexual harm. We generally view men and boys as perpetrators, which when you look at statistics, about 95% of the buyers for both girls and boys are men, which is, you know, devastating in that fact. But what we're seeing is that there's no space. And like Chris noted, uh, for boys to be the victim, Um, there's no cultural space, there's no programmatic space, there's no safe homes for boys in the United States. And we also, I'm astounded when I have phone conversations with other organizations working with uh, girls and women already, which you know is a, is a wonderful thing i think there is to be more programs for both but they are terrified to work with boys and men there is something just about that nature of working with boys and men who have been through sexual harm that they can't wrap their brain around they don't understand how the program would work when in of itself boys and girls men and women um you know other categories are all human um and i don't see that connection with people well,
0: and especially because of revictimization, that people who are harmed sexually are more likely to act that out. It seems that if 95% of the sex purchasers are men, that somehow that, that needs to be a cycle that's interrupted.
2: Yeah, and I think it also goes down to, like, like I was saying a while ago, our culture is just foreign to caring for men and boys that have, that have experienced trauma in their uh, early life, middle life, or late life.
0: So it's not just sexual exploitation and sex trafficking, but trauma in general. Trauma in seeing. general.
2: Yeah, totally. I think that our culture is so foreign to that that when that comes to light, um, it just becomes those care, service care providers just become pretty scared and don't want to touch it.
0: So the two of you started Restore One, which is your organization uh, to both be an advocate for boys and also to care for boys. Tell me about that.
2: So, and ah, oh, it's been a crazy story. And feel free to jump in, Anna. In 2012, uh, well, let's back up before that. We were youth pastor for four years. Anna went away, worked in a safe home for girls, and she came back. We always had our mind um, engaged on um, we were going to do missions somewhere. And and it seems like in the American culture, when you think about missions, you think about going overseas. Um, so that's where our kind of our hearts were gearing towards. But when she came back from working in that home, she said, "This is what we're supposed to do with the rest of our life." And I was kind of like, well, um, I don't know about that because I'm a youth pastor right now. This is going great. I don't even know nothing about sex trafficking. Then our culture, what I said, um, uh, wait, I'm a man. So funny, yeah. I, what, I mean, what am I gonna do yeah, I to address this issue?
1: Yeah, I totally remember that. I mean, Chris looked at me and he said, "How am I gonna help girls and women?" And at that point in time, we had no clue that no clue at all. God would put us on a path to work with boys, but
2: so yeah, we started the journey. We um, What's the word? We resigned from our youth pastor and jobs at our church about four months before we get married. Say, we're going to raise support like four missionaries would do and work with a nonprofit here in America that didn't have the money to hire us. But we said, hey, we're going to come work for you Um, if that's okay. uh, Did
0: people think you were crazy? Oh, totally.
2: Oh, they still
1: do, which (laughs) is funny. (laughs) We we get
2: weird looks all the time, (laughs) but it's all good. So we worked with this nonprofit for about eight months. Um, I became really sick. Um, with something called leaky gut. We don't have to go into all that. But I was pretty much came to the point where I wasn't going to work. I wasn't working out. I wasn't doing anything. I was kind of like bedridden where I was hurting all over. And it's kind of like, you know, in life where it seems like in times of solace and slowing down and rest and caring for yourself is when I feel like I can hear from Jesus the most. And it was that time I felt Jesus say, hey, I want you guys to move back to Greenwood, North Carolina, where you're from, and start a ministry um, called Restore One. And I presented that to Anna, um, and she was like, no. So the roles had reversed, right? I had said no to starting, you know, to work with human trafficking. Then she was the one that was saying no to moving back to Greenville and starting I mean, own. it's a
1: terrible idea. If you download the IRS packet to start a nonprofit, they have clear reasons why it's a Yeah, what does the first page say? It tells you not to start one. Not to start a nonprofit
2: join someone else. That's a pretty big discourager, right? Yeah, I mean
1: uh,
0: So how did you get involved with boys if initially you wanted to work with women and girls?
1: So we had started Restore One and um, really had felt like the Lord had definitely laid on our hearts to open homes for children who've been sexually trafficked. And a couple of things led to the conversation and the choice to join with God and opening the anchor house, which is the safe home that we're opening for boys. But there's a, so the first conversation I remember, I called a mentor of mine. Uh, She was my boss when I interned at the safe home for girls. And I was telling her about restore one and us moving back to Greenville. And she just pauses for a moment. She says, Anna, you ever thought about opening a home for boys? And I remember feeling um, kind of bombarded and terrified because we had never really thought about working with boys and men like most people um and then a couple months later we were at a conference in Fayetteville North Carolina and there was a panel of survivors talking about their programs and they're talking about their drop-in centers and that there were boys coming to the drop-in centers but there were no safe homes to put them in
2: and then we had a we had a friend in the middle of the state Raleigh, North Carolina, had just opened a home for females and their first call that they had gotten was that they had any room for a boy.
1: And so we said, "Yeah." Like I mean, I just remember us saying, "Yeah, God." Like we we we'd love to open a home for boys who've been sexually trafficked. And at that time, we knew no survivors. But I mean, along the journey, we met many, and th- we call some like close friends and some family. work worth in family. family. Yeah.
0: So you started Restore 1 and that was how many years ago? 4 4 years ago 2012 so you, you went from nothing to now you have anchor house built and you have a staff and what's your mission statement
2: providing restorative care for men and boys
0: okay and what does that look like? So you guys have the Anchor House. You do a lot of advocacy and speaking and training. Anna, I know you do a fair amount of training, right?
1: Yeah. So we do a couple of things. We just finished filming a documentary called Voice, um, and that is heading into production right now. So that'll be released. Um, we'll have our premiere in the fall and then shop film festivals, and we do training and speaking. And we're also working with Boys through advocacy at this point in case management. And we're raising funds to get the Anchor House open in that process. Um so we try to stay busy and, and try to get We try it. to stay busy? Oh, that was probably a terrible phrase because we just kind of <laughs> are.
2: But, it, um it never stopped.
1: <laughs> yeah, we really do a lot of speaking because we want folks to understand um, that boys and men do need to be helped and to kind of break down those walls and that stigma. And then talk about recovery and restoration, too.
2: Yeah, you know, when we first founded Restore One, we were, what, 23? 22 and
1: 23.
2: 22 and 23, and we were— you know, busting out the scenes, ready to go. I mean, we're both very driven individuals, I would say. And when we started Restore One, we had this long mission statement. We were going to do everything advocacy, legislative, prevention. And about two years after that, so in about 2013, no, about the next year, 2013, we really felt Jesus say, Hey, you know, what are you doing? You're running everywhere. You're trying to accomplish the mission of ending human trafficking in so many different forms. And it was about that time, that's when we got the call to address the human trafficking as it relates to men and boys. And that's when we just changed everything. We changed our mission. We changed our vision. And that's what we're about at Restore One is providing restorative care for men and boys who have been victims of sex trafficking. And we're super laser-focused, and that's what we feel called to do.
1: Yes.
0: So when someone comes to you, do they come through social services or churches, or how do they find out about you?
2: All
1: of it. Um we now get calls at least every other week, if not more, asking if our home's open. Yeah, we
2: just had a call last week, and we had to turn them away, of course, because we're not open yet.
1: Um, but we, to work with kids, I mean, we, we're we thankful that folks are starting to hear about Restore One and will reach out when they have a kid. And sometimes it's just technical support, like if it's um, a counselor or a court advocate working with a kid across state lines, or if it's in you know our state and we can actually physically help, then we will. But we're getting our license for our safe home right now, and so we'll be able to take kids from Department of Social Services, um, and we'll be accredited to take kids from across state lines.
0: And how many beds? What capacity?
1: So when we open phase one, which is the main building and one cottage, it'll be four boys. Wow! And then once that's open, sustained, we'll build two more cottages, and then we'll have four more boys. And.
0: And if I understand correctly, this is the only residential rehabilitative center for boys in the country. Yeah, there, there's none other. Yeah. So right, that'll be four beds more than there are right now. Right.
2: As of right now, um, at the Anchor House open today, it'd be the first home in America for boys that have been victims of sex trafficking. There are other homes across the nation that take in boys that have been victims of sex trafficking, but they might also take in females, or they might also take in other boys that have different other facets of trauma as well and not just sex trafficking. But there are shelters just for girls, and so that's why we see it. Which we
1: think is great. Yeah, Yeah. it's
2: super great. I mean, that's awesome. I mean, I I think the boys also deserve a place that's just for them that have been sex trafficked.
0: Anna, you're a social worker. What is the spectrum of care from the time that a boy arrives at Anchor House to – graduation what would be the ideal scenario for for what he will receive and and what the outcome would be like
1: so we have a phrase that we call restorative care at restore one and for us that embodies the whole person we believe that god made us um as a, a multi being right we have our body our soul our spirit um unfortunately when someone's trafficked that all is is broken um There is no sense of self, um, there is no sense of home base. um. And so when a boy comes to us, our hope is that um, he will begin to start to rebuild his life. And so that is done through practical implication of being able to go to school, um, going to counseling, um, participating in activities that he would enjoy, maybe it's soccer or maybe he enjoys art or learning about a foreign language. Uh, And then what I love about our program that is so different I think from other safe homes I've seen is we really want to invite them into a family and so I believe that attachment theory is sound and secure and that we heal through relationship and I think God designed us that way and so there will be house parents that live in the home and Uh, what we've already seen and Chris mentioned earlier is that we've become family with many of the survivors we've worked with. And I say that loosely, but I also say that in in truth, where that um, they begin to see us as not just a social worker or not just a court advocate, but this person's here with me for the long haul. And many people who are trafficked, as you know, come from terrible family backgrounds, um, generations of trauma and abuse. And so um, they'll be here um, and be invited into family, into healing, Um, And that's my hope for them. Um, When you work with people, I think you have to hold expectation loosely and allow them to develop it. I would love for every single boy that comes in our home would begin to start to dream with God and with others on what their life will be and to start to take back everything that evil has stolen.
0: So it sounds wonderful. Uh, Rather than there being um, a series of very specific concrete steps, it's more of a pathway. Mm -hmm. That's a proven pathway that is very relational and Mm -hmm that's the basis for the restoration. Yeah. So, you both mentioned that you're waiting on the license for Anchor House. What are the other barriers and when do you anticipate the doors being open?
2: I think right now one of our Thanks. our biggest barriers at Restore One that's keeping us from opening the Anchor House is funding. It's been a, a awesome journey along the way building the Anchor House. Um, it's about a $700,000 project um and Jesus provided and we built the Anchor House debt free it's a huge blessing. Um, it, it costs about $400,000 a year to, to run restore one with four boys and all the staff um, that it takes to, to do that, the counseling, their food, all their needs, uh, school. Um, They'll be homeschooled at the Anchor House. Um, So right now we're really working towards that funding piece. We're really working on sustainability. We need people to come alongside of us as it relates to monthly partners, quarterly partners, and then also yearly partners. So right now we're just really um, going after and and working and praying that those monthly supporters and sustainability will come along the way to support um, this, this very important work.
0: And if somebody wants to get involved either in volunteering or in giving to your ministry, what's the website?
2: Uh, it's dot org.
0: Yeah.
2: We're also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Pinterest. <laughs> Pinterest.
0: So photographs, you get to see photographs of oh, Anchor yeah. House. Yep. It, it really is cool to kind of see how it's gone from when I first crossed paths with you guys, the vision to... Breaking ground to seeing the building now up and running and there's a great photograph of it on the home page of your website if anybody wants to check that out. Let's come back to this idea of working with boys and restoring boys how is working with sexually exploited boys different than working with girls how might that how might that look.
1: Well, boys handle trauma differently. Um, what we've seen is that um, the level of shame is incredibly higher for boys and men who've experienced sexual harm. And so there's um, they are much less likely to identify, and I think we touched on that earlier. Um, also, we really built our program to be very tactile and by means um, body approaches to therapy – We've seen that boys and men who've been through significant trauma experience a lot of somatic symptoms that associate with the trauma. And so we'll be doing everything from yoga to um, certification in EMDR to doing like games as therapy and drama therapy. Um, and also what I think was is really interesting with boys and particularly boys who've been sexually trafficked, they do feel a lot more comfortable working with women in the beginning because the nature of their abuse has been... Um, men, And so that's not to say, I mean, the house parents will be both male and female, but uh, that has been a, a good awareness uh, for our staff and how we will structure the time with therapy and um, our, our directors are female. I'll be working a lot at the home. I'm a female. Um, So we want them to be able to get to a place where they can, uh, of course, be around men and, of course, be in healthy relationships. But in the beginning, um, we don't want to put them in a place where they'll be very triggered. So healing doesn't even start to take place.
0: So Chris and Anna, working with a population of boys, which in and of itself is already hard because it's a population that no one else is working with, but with such levels of trauma and abuse that these guys have, how— have you taken care of yourselves, and what are you learning about your own need for soul care in the midst of caring for others?
1: The year we started store one was the year I got into therapy, um, and partly is because of my background of um, prior sexual abuse and trafficking. And so, um, I had someone ask me the other day, "Well, do you ever get triggered working, you know, with boys and and men who are survivors?" And I was like, "Yeah, all the time." Um, and part of the way that I think we've learned to care for ourselves has been you know staying in community with people who are uplifting um, because you can tend to um, because this topic is so dark and some of the boys and men we work with um, it's not an instant result in the case or the healing right sometimes it's a lot of closed doors before there's one yes having daily prayer with Jesus I think is um, one of the most um, key things and most restorative things for me Um, and doing what we love like I'm a yoga teacher. I love to do yoga. Um, and so I try to do, you know, that and physical activity. Um, and I think staying in communication with other folks in this field um, is super important because uh, we have to encourage one another and um, be able to uh, empathize with the struggle. Um, and Chris can attest to this as well probably. But, uh, you know, this is just a dark field um, you know Satan does not want um, sex trafficking to be talked about revealed and particularly I believe um, when it is about a population boys and men that haven't really been brought to the surface and um, to have prayer warriors with you along that battle um, to pray for you and uplift you and to pray for um, the boys and men that we're working with um, are some of the biggest things that I found helpful
2: yeah and I think you know not only does this work hard, um, but and I don't want this to sound bad, but, you know, we're also a husband and wife team. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this is our life. Um, this is our passion. This is our work. So I think for us as a married couple, it's not only until these last year um, that we've started to experience and started to understand what self-care looks like together as a married couple and how do we separate so how, how do we, when we come home at night and Anna's cooked a beautiful, amazing, yummy meal, how do we not talk about Restore One the whole time um, and talk about our hearts and how we're doing personally? And I think for me, just being open and honest here tonight um, or on this podcast is that I think I've only started to experience true the, the meaning of what even soul care is. Mm. Um, <clears throat> of course, soul care, we have soul care together as a married couple, but then we have soul care individually and you know mine is cycling I'm an avid cyclist um, but even just through the work of Restore One um, in, my, in my personal life I had become very closed off to, to everybody really um, and just really focusing on my work and not really letting people in of, of who the real Chris is and just focusing on this work of Restore One and the Anchor House and just really taking all that burden on myself and not really, really not even just giving it to Jesus also and trying to just make all this happen because, um, you know, just trying to prove that, hey, we can do this because we had so many naysayers <laughs> in the beginning saying this was completely impossible, you're crazy, nobody will give money um, to a organization to, um, to help boys. That was actually a family member that told us that. Um, so not until this year, um, really learning what soul care was for both of us, but then also individually, definitely for me.
0: So it took you a while of doing the ministry and realizing that uh, that soul care is essential.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think it goes to um, just kind of sitting in front of Dan Allender, also at some of his conferences and his um, what is his thing called that. Re- re- recovery weekends and recovery weeks and I did one of those in Seattle and just hearing him talking about you know as someone that walks through their trauma what does it mean to play Mm -hmm. um, as an individual and as a child of God and not feeling guilty when you Mm -hmm. go out and enjoy activities and and not actually just working (laughs) all the time you Mm -hmm. know and so just finding peace and taking time and playing
1: I think, and I think Chris is definitely better at the play aspect than me, and so that's been, I think, a challenge. You know, just to. Well, I
2: don't know. You just took up CrossFit, so I I'm did getting just a little take up <laughs>
1: CrossFit. Everything hurt, including my pinkies the first week.
0: That is so funny. I, I think it's fascinating how you we're, we're talking about soul care and how not a lot of the soul care is, quote, religious. So, yes, there's the time with Jesus. That's kind of the foundation. But, Anna, you talked about yoga. Chris, you talked about cycling, that God made us as whole beings. And so it's it's body, mind, spirit, and mm-hmm. that we have to care for our bodies. And it's oftentimes our bodies where we carry our stress and our trauma. Totally. And oftentimes it's our bodies that can't kind of stop when work is done.
2: Totally. Oh, yeah. gosh, yeah. I think for me, too, um, I learn completely different. Than a lot of other people, I'm definitely a visual learner. I find it very hard to sit in a room and just have solace with Jesus. A lot of Christians be like, "Oh my gosh, that's completely wrong," but I mean, a lot of times I've had my deepest conversations and visions of His goodness while I'm cycling. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say climbing because I'm from North Carolina, at the you know closer to the beach, so I don't climb a lot. So that's the sufferfest time. <laughs> but when just out on a joyride, you know, just Jesus definitely meets me there a lot. Yeah. And um, I think it's important for the church important for Christians to understand that every single human being is different as it comes to relating with Jesus.
0: Let's wrap up with this. What would each of you say to someone who is involved in some kind of world-changing ministry but who feels the urgency to such a level, like these are people that are abused or there's people that are dying because they don't have clean water or— you know, men or women, boys or girls are being trafficked and, and I don't have time to stop and care for my own soul. I mean, there's, there's people that need to be saved. What would you say to them?
1: That's a slippery slope. Um, dangerous. Yeah. I mean that, that will place you, um, not only it's like a certain naivete that I think will lure you to, um, destruction. You know, we have to Um, I think Jesus is after our own heart. And whether if it's through cycling or yoga or other forms of goodness um, or maybe counseling, going your story. um.
2: Yeah. And I think, too, you know, everybody that's involved in something like this, this type of work um, that where people have experienced trauma, um, I would begin to explore and ask myself, why am I doing this work? Mm -hmm. Um, I've had conversations with many of my colleagues Well, I like to say friends um, that are doing this work, and come to find out, they're doing this work because they have stories of trauma as well that relates to the type of work they're doing. And we kind of have the motto that we've kind of learned from, you know, people like you, um, Michael and Dan Allender, that has said, you know, you can't take someone further than you've gone in your own story. And we hold that true at Restore One. And so that's what I would say to that individual: Jesus cares about you just mm-hmm. as much as he does the same level as the ones that you're going after and he wants you to take care of your heart and your soul as well
0: Yeah. Anna Smith and Chris Smith of Restore One thanks so much for being here today if you want to check out their website it is restoreonelife.org thank you so much
2: thank, thank you, thank you for having me.
0: you've been listening to another episode of Restoring the Soul learn more about how we cultivate freedom and wholeness of heart at restoringthesoul.com